This morning we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4 verses 10 through to 13, being happy in Jesus. Last Sunday we looked at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1, which amongst other things is about standing fast in the Lord. Today we are going to leapfrog over to verse 10, not because we're skipping the verses in between, but because we've already covered much of them, admittedly out of sequence, back in March. I want to remind you about what was said back then, and that is because those verses are relevant to today's considerations. They deal with the fruit of the Spirit. If you remember, in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, we saw that God works in all of you born-again Christians to will and to do of his good pleasure, as you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Consequently, the outworking of your salvation can be seen in the spiritual fruit that you bring forth, fruit such as joy, even in adversity. For example, one of the verses that we are leapfrogging over today is chapter 4 and verse 4, where the Apostle Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. We needn't imagine that Paul was ordering you to be continually joyful. However, dear Christian, as a recipient of God's saving and sustaining grace, you really ought to be someone who rejoices in your great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, continually and regardless of your circumstances. Another fruit of the Spirit is peace. And in chapter 4, verse 7, Paul spoke about the peace of God, which passes all understanding. As a Christian, you have peace with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear Christian, the joy and peace of God are your portion, and increasingly so, as you pray to your Heavenly Father that you would bring forth even more fruit for his glory and for the glory of your Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Coming now to today's passage, it is written in chapter 4 and verse 10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. We can see in verse 10 that once again the Apostle Paul referred to the Christian fruit of joy when he spoke about his rejoicing in the Lord. By the way, I'm not suggesting that unregenerate people don't have any joy. Of course they do, but it certainly is not a Christian joy. Their joy will most certainly be short-lived, and that is because it is a joy that emanates from the things of this fleeting world. As such, it is a joy that will pass away when they die, or when Jesus which or when Jesus returns, which could happen at any time in the twinkling of an eye. As it is written in two Peter chapter three and verse ten But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise 
and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burnt up. Listen very carefully, all of you who have not been reconciled to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. No one knows when the day of the Lord will be. Jesus may well come today, and if he does, let me tell you in sincerity and with heaviness of heart that whatever your joy you presently have, it will vanish away as you cry out to the mountains and rocks, fall on me and hide me from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Have you ever seen an angry lamb? You will do when Jesus comes in judgment if you are not trusting in him as your saviour from sin and as your Lord. The Apostle Paul was not only rejoicing in the Lord, he was rejoicing in the Lord greatly. Even though he was a prisoner in Rome, he was exceedingly joyful with a spiritual joy. That reminds me of about ten years earlier when Paul and his missionary companion Silas were in the stocks in the inner prison or dungeon in Philippi. Acts chapter 16 and verse 25 tells us that at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. That sounds like an outpouring and an outburst of spiritual joy to me. Can you imagine what an amazing Christian witness that would have been to the other prisoners? Coming back to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10, and why it was that Paul was so joyful, even though he was in chains in Rome. It was not so much the gift that he had received, and we're not even told what the gift was. But rather, it was the givers that filled his heart with joy. As Paul considered the gift and the epic journey undertaken by Epaphroditus and his travelling companions to deliver it and also to minister to his needs, all of those things were evidence that God was working in the Philippians. It was evidence of spiritual life and of another fruit of the spirit love as paul said in galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace what we see in verse 10 and what paul saw was love in action and that is what thrilled his heart Note in verse 10 that Paul said, Your care of me have flourished again, or revived again. That's gardening language. You need to understand that Jesus is the true vine, and born-again Christians are living branches in him, drawing on his grace, growing and bringing forth the fruit of the Spirit. If they're not then presumably they are dead branches and only fit to be cast into the fire. Also, the fact that the care of Paul by the Philippians had flourished again tells us that it wasn't just a flash in the pan. 
they had given to him in the past. We see that to be the case in verse 15. Look at verse 15 now. It's written, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. According to verse 10, they lacked opportunity to give Paul. As to why the Philippians lacked opportunity, having previously given to him, we're not told. Nevertheless, eventually, they were able to send Epaphroditus on that arduous journey to Paul with a gift, and Epaphroditus nearly died, according to chapter 2 and verse 27. I don't know if his nearly dying had anything to do with his journey. Paul could see that even though he had not received a gift from the Philippians for however long it was, he had never been out of their thoughts and prayers, and that is what thrilled his heart. We need to remember that despite being entitled to receive remuneration from the churches for his labours, he preferred not to. If it might be wrongly perceived that he was in it for the money or that he was profiteering from the churches. As Paul said to the Corinthians in chapter 1 of, um, sorry, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 11 and 12 concerning himself and the other apostles, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. The fact of the matter is that Paul had enemies who, who had infiltrated the church in Corinth. He referred to them as false apostles. No doubt they would have seized upon any opportunity to discredit him by making him out to be in it for the money. Clearly, even though Paul provided for himself as a tent maker when he was able to, he did nevertheless receive gifts, such as from the brethren at Philippi. You can be sure that those gifts were given with much love for Paul, and Paul saw the fruit of their love in their giving. Before we move on, let's be very clear about something, and that is that it is right to give to those who are engaged in the furtherance of the gospel of Christ, whether they be pastors or missionaries. For example, in 3 John, verse 5 and uh, through to verse 7, the Apostle John said, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom, if thou bring forward on their journey after a goodly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing to the Gentiles. In those verses, 
John was saying why Gaius shall do well if he gives his missionary guests a good send-off instead of just saying thank you and goodbye. Those missionaries went forth from one place to another in Christ's name, proclaiming his gospel. Like the Apostle Paul, they would not take anything from the newly converted Gentiles, lest they think that uh, was all they were really after, their money and their goods. As such, the missionaries would have provided for themselves and relied upon charitable giving from established congregations. Regrettably, it has to be acknowledged that there are people in Christian ministry who are in it for what they can get out of it, or else they start well but become greedy. Even so, that should not stop Christians from giving in order to provide an income for pastors and for missionaries. They give because they recognise that such people have living expenses like everyone else. And they give as an expression of the love that is shed abroad in their hearts by God, the Holy Spirit. Let's now look at verses 11 and 12 of Philippians chapter 4. Paul said, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Those verses tell us that even though Paul joyfully received the gift from the Philippians, he was not waiting cap in hand for it. His contentment did not rest upon him receiving anything in this world. He was completely content in Christ, whatever his circumstances. You have to remember that for Paul, to live was Christ and to die was gain. It has to be said that there are others in the world who are not Christians, but nevertheless learn to be content, even in adversity. For many of them, it is a matter of having to, such as many millions who were born into poverty and have none of the luxuries that we enjoy in the West, but still they genuinely seem to be a lot happier than we are. As for Christians, they learn to be content not in themselves, but in the triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, as they rest upon the promises of God and his providential care. They are people whose treasures are stored up in heaven. Whatever the earthly riches they have, they are thankful to God for, and if Jesus was to say to them, sell everything that you have and give the proceeds to the poor, they would do so and they would still be content as children of God. Let's not forget the exhortation of Paul back in chapter 2 to have the same mind as the Lord Jesus Christ who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation. The fact is that the King of Glory forsook all his heavenly glory when he entered this dark world of sin and misery. 
In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 20, Jesus said to a teacher of the law, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man have not where to lay his head. Note that in verse 11, the Apostle Paul said, I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. As such, he was speaking from experience. I like what Spurgeon said. He said, It was not an easy lesson to learn, especially when one of those states meant being in prison in Rome. If he was in the Mamertine, that is the dungeon, those of us who have been in that dungeon would confess that it would take a deal of grace to make us content to be there. And if he was shut up in the prison in the Palatine Hill, in the barracks near the, the morass, it was, to say the least, not a desirable place to be in. A soldier chained to your hand, day and night, however good a fellow he may be, does not always make the most delightful company for you, nor you for him, and it takes some time to learn to be content with such a companion. But, says Paul, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. The Apostle Paul had learned to be content whatever his lot, whether, whether he had or he had not. Both states come from God and both require God's grace. For example, when the chips are down and you suffer great loss, it's very easy to get angry with God. Job, who was one of the Old Testament saints, had been the greatest of all the men of the East, and he had seven sons and three daughters. In Job chapter 1 and verse 12, it is written, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Consequently, all of Job's children perished, and he lost his earthly substance. How would you respond to that if it happened to you? Job's wife counselled him to curse God and die, but he didn't. Instead, he said to her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? What I'm saying is that you can do one of two things in times of sorrow and distress, pain and suffering. You can wave your fist towards heaven as you curse God, or you can receive it in contentment from God, whose ways are infinitely higher than yours, and who gives you not necessarily what you want, but he does give his children what they need for their good and in accordance with his good pleasure. As the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. 
the all things that Christians receive from God can be sugar and spice and all things nice, but equally they can be very unpleasant indeed. Either way, what you receive from God is for your good. Then there are those who have an abundance of good things, and that can also be problematic. It depends on various factors, such as whether the person sees his treasures as being on earth or in heaven, and whether or not he glorifies God in his abundance. For example, in Luke chapter 12, verse 15 through to 21, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to his disciples about the deceitfulness of earthly riches, and he said, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do, I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods, goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose things shall they be, which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich towards God. Last of all, we see in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Does all things mean that in the strength of the Lord, Paul could jump over the moon? Even though all things are possible with God, I don't imagine that is what Paul was talking about. Neither do I imagine that with God's enabling, Paul meant that he could become extremely rich. Although, again, nothing is impossible with God. When Paul was talking about doing all things through Christ, which strengtheneth him, he was referring to the kind of things that he had been talking about in this letter, such as rejoicing even in his bonds, because Christ was being preached. Also, Paul spoke about Christ being magnified in his body, whether it be by life or by death. Then, there was chapter 2 and verse 29, which is about the double blessings of faith and suffering for Christ's sake. I think you get the gist of it. Suffice to say that Paul would not have been invited to preach about doing all things through Christ, which strengtheneth him in the pulpits of today's prosperity churches. That's for sure. Finally, all who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ have the joy and peace of God which abides forever. 
ebb forever. As for the love that they have, that too is a gift from God, who demonstrated his love for them, in that whilst they were yet sinners, Christ died for them. Clearly that kind of love, joy and peace is not the portion of people who reject the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. And that includes the many Christians who profess faith in Christ, but who do not truly possess him as their saviour from sin. When tribulation or persecution arise, like seed that is sown on stony ground, they have no root. They are not able to bring forth fruit, and their love, joy and peace vanish away. Blessed are you if you are able to say, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ Jesus which strengtheneth me. Amen.